Hi, this is Tiana from Mayday, the Handmaid's Tale podcast. Um, Justin and Rhea are not here with us this week, so today we've got Sarah joining Hi. us for our third week in a row. We might as well be a permanent member for our little gang here. I'm trying to elbow my way in there. I know you are. I kind of enjoy it. <laughs> and we also have Crystal, a friend of mine who you may have heard on the podcast before when she was interviewed by Justin. You want to say hi? Hi, I'm Crystal Martin, and I'm the Coder Girl Program Director. So I was on the show talking about an organization that focuses on women in tech. Um, after talking to Tiana about the show and book, I binge-watched it on a Saturday, and I am really excited to talk about <laughs> last night's episode. Was so. that your most depressing Saturday ever? No, it was amazing. I was doing my hair. It was great. <laughs> really? Deep I condition was, and handmade yeah, tail. You know, I like it. Yeah, you to do the whole, whole nine wash I like day. It. I know what you're talking mm-hmm. about. Curly girls. Oh. All right, so let's get right into it. We are reviewing episode. Oh gosh, what number are we on? What it was episode this? eight, and it oh, was man. it was titled Jezebel's flying by, which is yeah. We later find out what that means. Mm. Yeah, this was a very interesting intro. I it, was kind of um, disappointed at first. Really? I guess. Why? Yeah, let's talk about your overall opinions first before we dig into In the, the first few minutes of, in the first, I don't know, was it immediately where we're on Nick? Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was kind of disappointed. I was like, oh, but you're kind of a jerk. I don't know if I want to hear your backstory. I don't know if I care enough. I don't know if I care enough about you to spend an episode with you, but it wasn't the whole episode and that really helped. That was an issue. Right when we start to dig into Nick's yeah. backstory, I'm like, hmm, does anybody care about Nick's backstory? <laughs> I'm not I mean, I don't him. I don't in know any who way. Does. I mean, as Justin says, he's worthless, Nick. Yeah. So oh do we, we do call him worthless, worthless Nick a lot? He is like not with it very well. He is didn't he even think to, to ask be... her name. He steadily disappoints Come on. Us. Steadily disappoints us. Very disappointing character. And true to form, his backstory was also very disappointing and worthless. Absolutely. Yeah. I thought, I mean, like, could we get like a dead brother or i mean some <laughs> some like some shocker reason to feel bad for him yeah. right? i needed some reason to feel bad for him so i could care and i didn't get it so i still don't care about nick i know <laughs> i know and it was pretty disgusting how everything kind of rolled out with him so yeah my whole analysis on nick was like masculinity so fragile oh thank yeah. you good point that kept coming up in my head when i was thinking about it on my walk after yeah because I, I, like I was telling Tiana before we started rolling, um, I just have massive anxiety when I watch this show, as I'm sure everybody does. And yes. so I need to find outlets to kind of get rid of some of that extra energy that I feel. And so I was walking post-episode and I, I was just stewing about how fragile he was and just, yeah. All of the female reassurance he seemed to need. Yeah. Like making himself feel better by subverting control and then working with these men in power. Yeah, I've been thinking about uh, masculine fragility a lot with the commander, but I totally didn't think about that last night watching the show. Nick's response was so bratty. It was like, Brad, like you at a bar in college and like the guy that kind of likes you sees you like flirt with another guy and get a drink from him. And he's like, oh, you hate me and I never want to talk to you (laughs) again. And like you hurt my, it's like, I just took a drink from a guy. Get out of here. Right. And then he was all moody with that one, Martha. And he was like, oh, no, not tonight. Oh. But we'll yeah, get into that feelings. as we do. But yeah. So overall, you found it disappointing. I Just found the it. Just part. Yeah. Same Jezebel's here. Jezebel's was amazing. 
Yeah, Jezebel's was incredibly done. Visually, it was really neat. Some of the music was really good. It was a, it was a good yes. episode, right? But there were parts where I was like, hmm, maybe not. And a little bit of the Moira interaction was a little disappointing for me. I was expecting a little bit of a different thing with how she and Moira interacted. But overall, I liked it, as I do all the episodes. It's incredibly well done. You want to go in kind of scene by scene? Right. Since you, you two have very good notes i'm so impressed you're <laughs> great students you're great students you both get a's yay um okay so it opens with offred awake next to a sleeping nick and she's doing the voiceover or the the narration and she says that she wishes her story was different and that she wasn't such a weakling and that she has dreams that luke is alive but a ghost who slips away at daybreak and she comments that that she's forgetting him and does she does she say she has dreams that Luke is alive? Because she just learned he's alive in a prior episode. Okay. Like just recently. So maybe like she keeps trying to think about him when they were together, but the memory of him is fading or something along those lines. I kept having to pause during this time because my husband was reading a comic book next to me and he was turning the pages very loudly. <laughs> so I may not have heard it 100% correctly. And I was trying to subtly hint that he needs to stop turning pages, but he didn't catch it. <laughs> He didn't catch it. Didn't catch it. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, my boyfriend's trying to catch up, and I was watching it while he was there, and he was just like, la, 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 la. And I'm like, okay, can you go to the other room and do that, please? <laughs> can you this la, la, la in another room? Not okay. <laughs> yeah, hear not every okay. Word. You can't ruin it. No. But either way, I think the point is that she's she's forgetting him in a way that is really sad to her, and she feels, overall, she just feels like, really weak in in that she needs to keep running back to um to nick and having this little affair um and she knows that it's not a strong part of her and that it's not anything that she's proud of and it's said in the book this part is really true to the book the way that she says it because i feel like it was almost directly quoted from the book about how she just doesn't really want to think about this time and how she acted but she did do it and that's where she is kind of an is what it is yeah sort of thing yeah with her and nick. I, I assumed her comments were more of a her reflecting on like now that she knows that luke is alive she's having more guilt about it and she went back to nick even after she found out that mm-hmm. luke was alive and that's got to be hard to grapple with yeah but you know for all she knows this is where she'll be until Do you she, know dies. What she said she said it feels good yeah yeah she didn't really have a whole lot more to say yeah she didn't about him. she didn't seem to feel like concerned about being judged which i felt a little bit of relief of like Mm -hmm. let's not let's not dwell on that i feel like women in society talk about that a lot and worry about that a lot let's let's let this be a situation where i can just stand because everybody's probably gonna die real soon anyway right like just let it be it's okay and i really think in this situation like if there is ever a time that it is okay to be sleeping with somebody that you're not married with this is it (laughs) if you are having consensual sex in this world this is the time that that yes. is okay. <laughs> right. And if there's a tiny sliver of anything, even vaguely oh positive in your life, you no need to kidding. grab it with both Hold hands. Hold on to it. That didn't mean to sound sexual, but either way, <laughs> you do need to. You need to do that. With both hands. And, you know, well, we yeah, talk a lot about everybody kind of grips at the power, that the what little power they have, especially yeah. the women, you yeah. know, in Serena Joy. Because so, there's so little of it to be had. Right, that you're just kind of scraping at it. And so... Even even if, you know, also it feels good, but also maybe it makes her feel even slightly powerful or even slightly in control of 1% yeah. 
of her life. Well, she does. I mean, she seems to be in control. She was on top. When they're when they're alone, <laughs> mm-hmm. she seems to be deciding what's happening, and she's always on top. It's Go awesome. you, right? And <laughs> yeah, hair I mean, is this, down. this is a room where she is in control as long as Serena is not there. Right. So, yeah, I mean, take what you can get. Yeah, there's that. Um, and then, then we made a reason to live. Right. It's. Jeez. We are human, after all. And don't even get me started about that quote. We'll get there oh, in a yeah. second. At the but yeah. before that, we flash back to Nick during the time that the plans for Gilead were just starting to come together. And he's at a career counseling center called, I think it's something biblical. It has it, a biblical it's something, name. Yeah. I'm forgetting what it is. But either way, he can't seem to hold down a job. And he's going back and forth with, with the um, the counselor. And he gets yelled at. By some man behind him in line, as though... He's taken too long. Right, as though things don't take a long time at career counseling right. situations. But either way, um, so they sort of get into like a shoving match of sorts, or maybe he... He punches there's a, them. There's a punch. Yeah. Okay, I thought there was a punch. And then he punches the guy who was working the desk. Nice. All right. That was trying to help him. Right. Always a good idea. Yeah. Well, so apparently that sparked something in his career right. counselor... But- Thank you. Where did that come from? I, know. I don't know. What did you I think know. about that scene, Crystal? I just thought it was I really like, thought I was, it was just super kind of bizarre. like, I thought, th- I'm always looking for some type of big reveal or something with Nick, and I thought something was going to like, really catastrophic was about to happen right, right then, and then it was just like, oh, let me help you, son. And I was like, I what know. is this? What like, is why this? are you, you're this really polished, dapper man working in like this rinky-dink, it just, I was very disconnected. I didn't really understand it. I felt well, the exact same way. I thought the same thing. Like, he seemed too well-educated and nicely dressed and together to be working that job. And I, I immediately thought, like, I wonder if he's a plant. Because this sounds like it was happening at a time, like, before they took over things. This must have been before the bombings. This is, you know, oh, yeah. well before that. Because he is just, like, introducing this idea to Nick of people right. who want to change things and change the way the government works, I and think I he might have said. And, like, maybe he was planted there to, like, look for people. I mean, this is kind of a blanket term, and I'm not saying that everybody in that particular line was, but like to look for people who might be like really impressionable or a vulnerable. little, yeah. Because right. like, yeah. I, I was trying, I was maybe I'm reaching too far, but I'm thinking like easily. I look at Nick and I assume like he no, there's a discussion around his race, but I sort of thought like he's probably like I assume he's Latino, mm-hmm. and I didn't know if if the makers of the show, the authors, were trying to say like trying to sort of attach him to that theme of like someone who is vulnerable or from a a background where they're impressionable because they don't have a lot of resources or help that this is how you get them yeah right that's a really good kind of like gangs for instance like provide a lot of like community and connection for people and that's why they join them not because they really want to kill people terrorist organizations right yeah i mean terrorist organizations in our world right now not just the ones that build gilead i don't know if that was making sense of like nick's place and identity in this whole thing that's really interesting they don't address race in this show weirdly um so yeah that would be a really interesting take on it but maybe, maybe they'll expand the a little more on that later that's the yeah. most sensical explanation that i could think of because i couldn't see what he saw in nick either way no <laughs> they Besides go delinquent to, yeah no yeah, like i just couldn't figure it out so they go and get coffee and he talks a lot about how this world is screwed up and there's the sons of jacob and maybe it's there's a job in it for you if you come to one of our meetings and um yeah and so 
even though the counselor seems to kind of be taking advantage of Nick's vulnerability or Nick's kind of questionable job situation, he still doesn't seem like the type because he has a little bit of a, like, not defiance in him, but there's a part where he says, you know, idle hands are the devil's work, or he says something like that, and Nick's like, that's not in the Bible. And he's very much like, he doesn't seem like, I missed that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, he totally calls him on it, which shows, A, that he has some awareness of the Bible, which it would you would think would be a good thing to a guy trying to recruit people for the sons of Jacob. But also, like I said, he says it in kind of a way like, don't make that sound like it's in the yeah. Bible. because it's not. <laughs> and then I think, well, he seems a little defiant. I think they'd be yeah. looking for somebody a little bit like, oh yes, more, idle more hands. Complacent. Idle hands. Yeah. Like very much more cooperative and, oh yeah, you yeah. said, you say things and I just believe you. Um, so that was another part where I was like, so Nick, Nick's your guy? You're going to yeah. recruit that guy? Maybe, Maybe Nick's for kind it. of a blank slate, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, he's true, kind true. of unimpressionable, so. So what was, what was right after this? Okay, so then, um, we pan back. So there's that flashback, and then we come back, and the commander is waiting in June's room when she gets back from presumably sleeping with Nick, right? I uh, couldn't no. connect that. I, I didn't know. Okay. I wasn't it was hard sure. It did... When she walked in and saw him there, she sure did seem like she was in trouble. Like she right? thought she was in trouble, I which kind of made me too. think that too. Yeah. But then I was like, I don't understand where we are at right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. She so. might have just been surprised that he was just sitting in her damn room. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. Like, I was here? scared. Right. Me too. Yeah. I saw him sitting there and I thought, oh my god, what is going to happen? Super I was scary. not prepared for the part of the book that this show that this episode turned out to be about. Mm-hmm. Um. So I was just like, fuck, what's happening? I thought are you she in was, trouble. I thought again? she was in trouble too. It was really scary. Also, we have to address in this whole scene. Uh, the face acting on the part of Joseph Fiennes and um, Elizabeth Moss in this whole awkward oh and Sarah Wiley later on too oh, amazing we gotta, we gotta, there's yeah, surely a real term for this somebody on Twitter please tweet at me what is the real term for what we've been calling face acting the whole time because I feel <laughs> it, like that's a thing is it facting <laughs> I don't know help me um, Twitter Twitter educate us what is it <laughs> so then so the commander's waiting in June's room and she gets back. And it seems like she's caught, but he ends up, he, he says that they're, they're going for an outing and that he's going to shave her legs. Oh yeah. Creepily. It was incredibly creepy. And I did appreciate the explanation for why her legs were shaved in the bath scene before. We addressed that. We had talked about that. We did. And in the bath scene, because she has to take a bath to clean herself before the ceremony. And there's one scene earlier, way earlier on in the in the series where you see her in the bath and she's talking about it. But her legs are shaved. And I was like, no way do they give her them razors. Come on. Right. She mentions they don't give them razors. Yeah. And she explains it in this episode. Finally. That they get like them for very short time periods of time, and the Martha waits outside the room to make sure that they don't have the razor alone for very long, just so that they can shave their legs once a month. I would presume before the ceremony, because we can't possibly, you know, no. stun the commanders with female leg hair. No, no, obviously. Ugh. But I was so glad to have that explanation, even though I don't buy that they would ever be alone with razors. So one moment, that's one moment, yeah, all most women would need, right? I would think that, that the situation. Martha would just be in, in the, the bathroom, room, right? right. Wouldn't the Martha want the razor too? Yeah, I mean, come on. The, the world like, I'll is go pretty first, terrible for you. all women. <laughs> um, so he shaves her legs, Ugh, which is one of the, creepy the look on his face. many disgusting interactions that they will have in the episode. And then um, she makes a comment that it seems like he's done this before. And that will, you know, kind of flesh out a little bit more later. But mm-hmm. it well, seems... We know he had a relationship with the previous handmaid because exactly. of the Latin. So... 
So she mm-hmm. comments that it seems like he's done this before. So not only has he had an inappropriate relationship with the handmaid before her, but also he's done this very evening that they're about to have, which is just gross. Um, I wish I could come up with a more eloquent way of saying that, but it's gross. I, I said it, you can't trust him because his eyes are set too close. Because his eyes are set You can't close. trust people like that. That's how you know. Yes, I know. Wow, okay. Yeah, I just. That's a pretty broad statement. You he just stick with it? Can't, I, I'm sticking with it. All right. His, his, he's just, his face, I just don't trust him. I appreciate your conviction. <laughs> I understand. Um, And then he hands her a makeup box. Oh, yeah. With lipstick and blush and things. And I was extra offended because yeah. it was somebody else's. Yeah. Well, and so it was somebody else's gross old makeup. Old right? makeup. Ugh. Yeah, that and then, stuff is probably. I think it was a Mac bullet too. I think it was an actual Mac lipstick. I might have maybe maybe just saw what I wanted to see. I don't see. know enough about lipstick to know Same. what that means. Um, and then he watches her put mm-hmm. it on, and I super think, voyeuristic. It was just really strange. Like that felt super invasive, even though you just, know clearly they've done more invasive things together. This just felt extra icky. So awful. The ick factor. Is at an all time high in this episode. I felt technically offended too because I'm like, this is not my color. This is not <laughs> what I would pick out for myself. I don't have the right concealer, right. no foundation. You just got me putting on some old lipstick. I was and thinking, some like, crusty would mascara. I remember how to do it after a bunch of years Absolutely and stuff. Remember. I well, remember. And he held the mirror, which even yeah, in that was case weird. was like, I'm in control. Yeah. I'm holding oh, yeah. this mirror. You're going to paint yourself like a doll. I'm going mm-hmm. to watch you. Everything about she it was did. very... She looking like a doll. Like, oh, it was, she did. It was such a stark, drastic yeah. difference. It just felt weird. And I think he thought he was doing her a favor. I think he thought, like, she's going to feel beautiful right. after she does it. She, I, I, got, I think I he have, thinks like, that every time he interacts with her, she's going like, to feel this match. <laughs> I'm irritated. Whatever. Well, and she has to force on these awful painted smiles because that's what he wants, right? He wants her to go, oh, I'm so beautiful. Oh, thank you I'm for so taking excited. me yeah. out. Yeah, like, it does feel I'm, like he wants a thank you all the time. It is terrible. And the facial expressions that. Yeah. that he makes are just terrible. Yeah, yeah. It was all of the shots of his face watching her just... And the hair sniffs. Gross. Do people actually creepily sniff people's hair? No. Like, why? That was... I felt like you could... I don't think anybody who's not, like, a stalker sniff. does that. <laughs> and her hair don't smell good. It wasn't like she was using swab, know. you know, or, like, Pantene Pro-V. Yeah, she's, she's, she's not soap. using... She's not got the pick of the beauty aisle no, for herself. No, weird. I could not believe. Yeah. And his tone with her, which Justin has addressed in the past, is very creepy. Super creepy. Talks down to her like like she's this yeah. doll that he's dressing up or just, I don't know. I don't have a better metaphor than a doll, but it's it's really bad. What did you guys think about the presentation of the outfit and the shoes to her in this scene? It was it was like a gift, but, you know, kind of a horrible well, one. It was like wrapped. He didn't even yeah. present it like in a gift. It was like, here's a ball dress. I don't think dress. he knows. Well, I don't think he knows. And I think he thought, again, like, this is pretty. This is what women like. She's going to put this on oh, and yeah. feel so beautiful and and look at me. And he wants this, like, this girlfriend experience where he gets to have a wife and then this, like, fun, sexy affair with a girlfriend. But, but totally not taking. But basically, a, like, he owns her. Like... Right. He's Well, she's a sexual slave to him. Yeah. So I'm sorry. You can't just buy her a dress and put makeup on her and shave her legs and totally disregard the fact that she's your your slave your prisoner yeah like yeah. that you've also, ritualistic rape that was not a new dress 
No, oh, no. no. Uh-uh. Yeah. I don't think they are making new things like that. Uh, <laughs> no. Anywhere and, near there. And they talk about it in the book about how anything that you see that's like costumey like that or anything even like not what a handmaid or a wife or whatever would wear is something that they've kind of scrounged from the time before. Mm-hmm. So because it's all... they destroyed everything in the beginning. Right. They were supposed to burn all those things. Right. But they did But some obviously survived. And to be real, like... There's no way they could have been in every closet and every house and every apartment all over. You know, there are bound to be ones that got missed or like houses that never got gone through. And, you know, so things like that would still exist, but they'd be gross. They're like contraband at this point. Right. Well, not only that, but like you said, just kind of just roughed up and yeah, not what you would wear and not anything that would fit you and kind of something that's been balled up in closets. Which is exactly what you want to hear before you put on sparkly four inch heels. Yuck. So he gives that to her. And then he tells her that Serena Joy... So they're going out that night. And he tells her that Serena Joy has gone to visit her mother. And that she won't be back until the next morning. So you get the indication they're going to be out all night. And they'll spend the night in a hotel. And Mm -hmm. they don't need to be back by any time. And uh, that was a huge thing for me. That serena joy gets to have a mother that's alive that she gets to see that there is an old person still in existence i thought they all went to the colonies right i didn't put all that together uh i think we are probably just making that leap because in the book there is more talk about moira or sorry not moira about june who's not june in the book Mm -hmm. um missing her mother and wondering what happened to her and then like moira tells her that she saw her in a video of the colony of people in the colonies and so like at least June knows that she made it there and was alive. And, like, then June thinks of her as alive. And then Moira's like, well, she's probably not now because right. the colonies are cleaning up toxic waste. They yeah. all die after a few years of being there. Horrible deaths, probably. Right. Like, their skin and melts off yeah, their face there, there, there are many allusions in the book toward, like, anybody older who is not also powerful just gets shipped off to the colonies. The terrible rest of their lives. So I guess as a perk of her position, maybe maybe it's because she's not only a wife, but the wife of one of the top commanders yeah. of Gilead. Like, you know, you get a sense later on in the episode just how much Fred, her commander, had to do with everything that happened. Um, so maybe because she's in that, not just social standing of a wife, but the wife of Fred specifically, that she got to, like have her mom remain living and in a place where she could visit yeah. her. It seems like a big favor. Yeah. I was wondering if her mom is maybe also married to an important person. Yeah. We were talking about they that. They keep the, they keep the old important men around, I think. Okay. So maybe she's there and then she just doesn't have the same situation. Like there's no handmaid and then they're just old and rich and powerful together. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. So they get in the car and they go out and they come to a checkpoint and he a security checkpoint and he has her pull up her hood of serena's code and he keeps saying things like you know it's okay you're with me and you know you're like you're so excited date. aren't you and like he keeps saying things like even if this were a legit date today between people what woman would be listening to that and not thinking like what is wrong with him it's so why crazy. is he reminding me that i'm having a great time constantly right i sort of felt like he it's was weird overacting yeah like he was like being extra creepy he's like okay we know you're creepy and kind of messed up but like you're being creepy like, like that the actor was overacting actor, or the, the actor oh, was overacting yeah. i think he just kind of kept really kept that thing up and it was like all right man we're at a checkpoint just oh, cut yeah. it out for a minute like let's get through the- yeah i just yeah nothing yeah, was said he seemed very creepy on purpose 
Right. Like nothing was said without a thick layer of just creep. <sighs> Disgusting. Yeah, that's true. Um, so yeah, and he keeps like, yeah, saying things to her about how she should be feeling and how, what a great time they're having. And then, you know, um, they, they pass another gateway where she has to lay down and cause even wives aren't allowed past that point, And she assumes they're going into what I was, was Boston. I surprised by that, by the way, that there is a limit yeah. to where the wives are allowed to go with their husbands. I mean, I figured the husbands, if they decided to take anyone wherever, that they That's would be what, able yeah, to do exactly. that if they were a powerful commander. But I think if, but like, if it's like a place like Jezebel's, then if a guy brought his wife, the other guys would be like, what are you no, doing, but, man? But he says, like, even the wives can't go beyond this point, and they're not at Jezebel's yet. That's just when they're entering what she thinks is Boston. Boston yeah. True. But so maybe like, Boston has just become a place where... Oh gosh, they, like full of brothels and things. Yeah, oh, that's just so all the stuff that they shouldn't be doing that they kind of still want to be doing, and it, that could take the form of a brothel or, you know, I don't yeah, know, maybe other stuff. Yeah, and I it's do just have a feeling there would be a lot of things that the wives don't know about that the men are still doing, or just turning a blind eye to, like which women do today. You know, like right. they know what they're doing, but they're just like, well, right. I'm, I got status. And a place where they can still get matter. things that are illegal now and things like that. You know, right. they can it's get become- their. I don't know what would be illegal. <laughs> a huge black market. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. So maybe that's why. And Anyway. So he's just like, who were you scared? I don't know what he says, but it was extra creepy. And then we flash back to Nick. And this is where it gets really bad. So Nick, you know, this is when he starts becoming a driver for the Sons of Jacob. But again, this is pre-Gilead. Like, it's pre-society turnover. And there are two men, or maybe three. It's three counting Commander Waterford. Fred. Yeah. So um, I call him Fred. We're, we're pretty close. You're on first name basis yeah. now? No. <laughs> okay. Me and Fred are good. <laughs> well, you should tell um, him how it is. <laughs> I know. I have a lot to say to Fred the next time we <laughs> hang out. But um, so he's in a car and yeah, there's three men, including Fred, and they're talking about what to do about the fertility issue. And I guess what would be, they call him Commander Price? Oh, I didn't catch either of their names. I was just too grossed out by what they were saying. Yeah, it was too awful to really focus. But there was one who had white hair, and he seemed to be even higher of ranking than Fred? Um, The the one that had recruited Nick? That guy? Wasn't the other guy. I think it was the other guy. The other guy that seemed a little more crass. Yeah, yes, yes. The one he apologizes for after he gets out of the car. Yeah, he did seem extra... So they start to talk about, well, you know, you just, that man says, oh, you just collect all the fertile women and impregnate them. And then the commander's like, no, the wives really, or Fred is like the wives, because they're all commanders, presumably. The wives need to be in on this. They need to, they need to agree with what's happening and, and feel invested in it in order for this to work. So he kind of says one thing that isn't totally awful. And then he comes, the other man comes back with, no, no, we'll just have them be a part part of of the the act. And then they'll buy into it. Wives will eat that shit up. Or he says something along those lines. I just can't. It's hard for me to believe that they even let the wives in on the fact that they were literally rounding up other human beings, fertile women, like cattle, to basically imprison them and make them sexual slaves. And that, like, the wives really knew what was happening in that level. Like, they understood that literally these were, were rounding these people up like cattle. This could have been you, but you can't have babies. I don't, I just don't see that happening. The wives also seem terribly miserable in this world. While they're living in a gilded cage, like, they also seem to hate things. No, absolutely. You know? So, I think sometimes in a situation, especially in, like, fertility type issues, like, a lot will be forgiven in the name of continuing 
the species. And I'm not saying like, right. I feel that way or anything like that. I'm just saying like, I guess a lot can be explained away if that means that you can continue a society or I don't know. And I don't know. Like, I feel like in a lot of ways it kind of in a different context sort of comments on like baby mania, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And I'm not a mother. I hope mm. to be one someday. So I'm not, I'm not bashing moms, <laughs> No, please. but yeah. like the, that the culture of the culture of what it means to be wanting to be a mother and like, uh, and how it's become a marketing tool now yeah. for women. So it gets put in, you can look up one thing about a baby and then like all your Pandora you ads or yeah. everything is like targets can, randomly send a new diaper discount. You like click on a pretty engagement packets. ring, uh, ad and then it's like everything you see, your boyfriend's yeah. looking at you like, Oh, I'm like, I looked at one thing. I promise. Like I'm not, it was just pretty. <laughs> just one. I just clicked on the you know? pretty ad. And so I think it kind of like, it's just a different manifestation of it. Like now yeah. the women who are really obsessed with wanting to have a baby and like, you know, they may yeah. be having trouble with it. So they like, they talk about it all the time. It's like mommy forms and all this stuff. And you wow. don't feel like an adequate woman if you can't have a baby. Yeah. But and, now it's just. And then this, these people would be experiencing that to such a larger degree because they really can't. Right. Yeah. And so Serena. But they don't know like, why. Serena Joy's like, you know, sort of craziness when it comes to um, Alfred being pregnant is like just another way yeah, of it that's happening. Totally She's just like me accurate. being a, a, a valuable woman in society is having a baby by some means. Right. right. And so I will buy into this so Especially I can have that dream. Society, right. Biological destiny. Right. So it's like for whatever it takes me to get that dream, I'm going to get it. And if it means we're going to run up the women and impregnate them and I'm going to get one. Cool. Great. Interesting. That's a really, that's a really interesting thought. I really had not thought of it that way at all, but that makes a lot of sense. What I was thinking and like to the extent that I missed part of the next scene because I was really thinking about this. This conversation made me think about what it must be like to overhear um, white supremacist conversations and the justifications they give themselves for maintaining the white pure race. Um, full disclosure for people on the podcast listening, I am multiracial. Um, I am half white and half black. And that's something I've always wondered about because I do hear, you know, in public people talk about maintaining the purity and like they talk about it in kind of the same terms that these men were talking about maintaining the human race. And that just struck me as really extra creepy that this could be like an on steroids version of trying to make the, the greatest people, the greatest race, because they do a lot in the book. I can't remember if it happens often in the show, but a lot in the book, they kind of talk about like, only only uh important people and only select men will be able to have babies and like in the book they talk a lot more about that in their eyes infertile men don't exist it's all the prob- a problem with the women right um so they assume that all men can have babies but they only allow certain men to have women to have babies so it really seemed like a total parallel and added an extra layer of oh god to this scene I don't yeah. know. Does that sound totally far-fetched? No. I mean, there was, like, a lot of... It's, it was kind of crazy how quickly they all just came to a consensus right? about, like, well, if you do it it's this like, way, then... Oh, it we'll call like it they the were ceremony. talking about it for the first time, but they got right. there real fast. They got there yeah. real fast. <laughs> sure, sure did. That was another scary part of it, just how that conversation went. It was like you were brainstorming so the name of your, you know, greeting card company. Like, oh, we'll call it this because uh, my 
inside joke, but it was like, oh, boom, we'll call it the ceremony. It sounds really religious and the we'll, wives will buy it. They'll eat that shit up. And okay, good, good talk. And then they get out, <laughs> of, the they get out of the car. And yeah. you're like, ew, you that is how a lot of those decisions were made. Gross. Yeah. Like, it just, it just felt like a casual conversation that became a real, really horrible yeah. reality for a lot of women. Also interesting that they were, like, feigning interest in what the wives would think when clearly their opinion doesn't actually matter in this world. They yeah. Don't, they don't care. True, but they did. I feel like they were just putting on airs for each other, except for maybe Commander Waterford, who does seem to genuinely love his wife before all this happens. Like, in the... In the flashbacks. Yeah, in the flashbacks, he seems to genuinely See, love his wife and respect her opinion. And, like, it, it kind of feels like that must have changed slowly over time as he got, like, indoctrinated more and more. But... The other men, I kind of felt like they were just, like, putting on airs. I think it's, like, the illusion of power, right? Like, I think they're like, okay, we have to give them some illusion of power so they buy into this so oh, they can yeah, feel like right. they have some agency over the situation, even though they don't. So yeah. we're going to tell them this is what we're going to do. We're going to, like, include them in it so they feel okay about it. Yeah. And then they, right. and they have an opportunity to feel like, I mean, look at even the position that the, the, the woman is in over the handmaid when yeah. the ceremony is performed. She's got some power. Yeah, she's like power, looming over her, you know, holding her still. Too. So I think that that was like their way of giving her, giving them something in that even though they, they don't care. Well, and maybe it was their even vague attempt to make their situation slightly less miserable. Like, if our wives aren't super angry with us 100% of the time, maybe this won't be like kind of terrible for us even though we're getting kind of everything we want but can I, I sorry go ahead. no go for it i just want to ask like is it is is sex between uh the the, the commanders and, commanders their, wives? and their wives okay speculated or? on that yeah, on just like no before. sex unless it's going to be for procreation yeah it kind of seems like it doesn't happen at least for commander waterford and his wife because when they did have sex after the um uh, trade delegation yes meeting. thank you the mexican trade delegation was there and it was very successful and he was excited and she had like saved the day and he was so proud and they did have sex and he said we should stop right yeah it definitely it was implied that this was like not, not sanctioned okay. sex and the one time that she tries to revive him during oh one yeah of this he was there, not into it he couldn't Mm-mm. like it couldn't she couldn't yeah take him there and it, it, it kind of felt like in that scene like he was just not into it. Like, he didn't want that to happen. True. Rather than, like, being concerned that it wasn't supposed to, because he could have still gone into the handmaid. You know, like, right. I mean, no pun intended. Right. Um, he, could like, have, like, he could have, like, gone and back to the bedroom. To like, she was trying to restart things so that they would have a baby. Right. You know? Right. And he still was not having it. So it seems like that relationship must have really taken a dive. Yikes. Um, okay. So, and then Nick's just like, yeah, I guess they shouldn't get attached. And we're like, great, Nick. And then, okay. Um, so, yeah, Nick, you get a sense of Nick's involvement in how all this went down and where Fred stood in all of this as well. And then he asks Nick's opinion, which you're like, okay. And then, yeah, he says that it's just better for everyone not to get attached. And then. Um, Is this when we get the flashback to the other handmaid? Um, I don't think so. So, even in that scene, it doesn't always seem like Nick's totally bought in, which again would be concerning for me if I was one of the sons of Jacob. Like, I'd be like, who is this guy? Does he even, like, that lives in over my garage? Right, that drives me all my secrets. And here's all of these awful things that we talk about. But they don't know he's an eye. 
No, he's just they a don't. Footman. I think June is the only one that knows that he's an eye. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I would be suspicious though if I were the commander doing all these things that like I'm not supposed to be doing, and clearly it didn't work out well the last time. Right. Probably. I would be worried about having out in the open. Just yeah, holy. your only male servant whose word would be taken as fact. Yeah. In the world, in these Gilead courts they have where women aren't allowed to talk, that, yeah, I would be concerned. Wouldn't you be paranoid if you were doing Absolutely. all these things? Yeah. And you're a very high-profile person? But they're arrogant. I don't know. I guess our politicians today aren't very paranoid. Or mm-hmm. Right. They're arrogant, so that also doesn't help. Well, so no, that was a flashback. And then we come back into what is, like, real time. And it's June walking down the hall of this industrial building. You know, it's oh, yeah. this kind of secret pathway into Jezebel's. And White Rabbit by Jefferson Airplane is playing to kind of give this mood of it's what good what clearly yeah, song. great song for this. And she looks terrified, of course. Um, so they enter what looks like a really dark strip club brothel situation. And uh, she asks the commander, and we're all thinking it, um, I thought these types of places were banned. This is not what Gilead stands for at all, supposedly. And he says, yeah, you know, we we knew they were happening, but we just turned a, turned a blind eye. Everyone's human after all. Which is just Burned dripping me. with, like, and clearly <laughs> he is only talking Burned about the men. Me. Right. Can it, I also just say, like, this, for some, and I'm a, I'm a person of faith, and I grew up Christian, and this particular scene in that moment made my skin crawl. Oh, yeah. Because I have had so many Christian men give justification for why they wanted to do certain things, but then wanted me to be a certain way. And I have heard that, I, like, literally wrote, like, heard that shit from a Christian man before. Like, we're Literally, one sentence, you should be going to church every Sunday, but, like, men have needs, and yeah, I'm going to need that. That's for, oh, man. Uh, it should have filled you with rage. Nasty. Because um, it certainly did for me, but anyways, <laughs> we all threw up in our mouths a little bit, and then you kind of pan the scene, and there's just women of all it seems shapes and colors and it was it was a lot of variety of women which is interesting because you don't see this wide a variety of types of people in any other roles in society we've seen so far there have been a couple uh justin pointed out in the obgyn waiting room there was a black couple Mm. uh with a baby who obviously must have been in power if they had a handmaid um but like only one only one and like we've seen a couple of asian people here and there and I think I've seen a couple of Hispanic handmaids, but mm-hmm. like for the most part, Gilead is really vanilla. Really, really. The, mm-hmm. the the racial things, I, I wonder if it's going to get explained later on or something, but it seems very like just weird. Yeah, I don't know. it like, is weird. I think mostly because they didn't talk about it. Right. Because there were only white people in the book. Okay. Um, we talked about that a little bit before, I think. For anybody listening who hasn't read the book, in Gilead in the book, um, the African-Americans were all shipped off to, like, North Dakota or somewhere. Supposedly they're still alive, but really, who knows? Um, the Jews were given a choice to convert or to be shipped back to um, Israel. And those who were supposed to be sent back to Israel um, were killed on the journey. Um, there are no gay people that are not out, obviously, but, like, there for people who were out before if you were known to be gay, you didn't stay. If they didn't know, then you could have survived. But um, yeah, there's just, there's not other types of people in the book world. And I'm, I'm really glad they included other kinds of people in the show because right. it would have been so jarring not to. But 
I really wish they would have talked about it. And this is another one of those times where, like, confronted with more kinds of people, I was like, oh, cool. Oh, but I don't understand why these people aren't dead. Yeah. And I also was kind of paying attention. I actually, like, took a lot of time to actually look at the women that were at yeah. the, the brothel. And they had a couple of full-figure women, but for yes. the rest of that scene, they were all yeah. stick figure yeah. model types. Well, and, and they do say they do in. talk about that they can have any kind of drugs or alcohol that they want all the time there. They can be on coke all day and all night there. Yeah. Like, anything they want. Well, yeah, but there was only that's the first like <laughs> heavier person I've seen in the whole show. Yeah. 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 So that was like even Cora is fit. Or uh, Rita. Yeah, no, they all are. That you know, women aren't supposed to have sugar or alcohol or anything yeah. like that. Um, so there's even a giant dog on a leash. Did anybody see that? Yeah. Sorry, I had oh, to yeah. point that out. I, I heard about like, that one. All right. With a teeny tiny woman holding the leash. Yeah. yeah. And, um, so she asks about what kind of people are here and he explains only the men. And then she asks, what about the women? And he said, it's people who couldn't assimilate. Um, anybody from lawyers to CEOs, there was a sociology press- professor he he pointed out. I would um, have been like, how do I get in that group of non-assimilators? And is there somewhere else you can go? Well, yeah. You because he wanna... says people who didn't couldn't assimilate as if, like, they just, like, didn't try to really force them into being a handmaid or, right. you know, a Martha yeah. or something. And I was like, I feel like this is another option that maybe they should have talked to people about. Not <laughs> no that this one, life is great. Taken that one, I think. Not that this life <laughs> is great, but a lot of people would have chosen that yeah. over being a handmaid. yeah. Or maybe it was just like in their eyes, you know, in the commander's eyes, like you don't fit into what we consider a handmaid to look like, yeah. act like, talk oh, yeah, like. That's a good point. Or a wife to their version of assimilation. Right. It wasn't they like they were just like, nope. And they were like, Jezebels. It was more like, <laughs> you know. Like, Every, I wish everybody that's listening to the podcast could have like, seen your little <laughs> gestures with that. There was some head swerves on hip action going. Sassy. And then yeah. he says, there's quite a collection. They prefer it here. And then, gross. Yeah, deciding for them that they all prefer it here. That's very like him. Yeah. Yeah, and it sort of spoke to me, like, how women in power get kind of pushed down. And, uh, I I don't know, like, of course you wouldn't be a handmaid. Of course you wouldn't be able to be, like, the upstanding wife because you have too much dignity. You know, you have too much... um, too much of a social uh, i'm sorry a, a personal sense of justice that yeah you couldn't subject yourself to either one of those yes situations like i sort of saw that and i was like i would have definitely been a jezebel because i would yep. been like fuck that fuck that like at least i have yep. some realm over like what i do in at least this i could control enough that i wouldn't be able to remember the horrible things happening at jezebel this space yeah i don't know and and it's almost like the, the kind of conversation around like you know feminists and women who are really really loud I think our, you know, society and even, you know, situations that in your career, people are always trying to silence the women like that. The women mm-hmm. who fall in line, it's like, okay, we're, that's good. We're fine with them. But the ones who are always sort of like raising hell and asking questions are yep. the ones that like men feel especially interested in making sure they have nothing else to say. Well, yeah, I think uh, women who speak out a lot and who work themselves into positions of power by their, their brains and guts, you know, they're more threatening, that's that's really threatening to other people in power who are usually dudes. So, yeah, definitely. I'm sure they have a lot more um, care about keeping them hidden away in some place and, and you know, and where they'll be used smart. for the men's pleasure. But, like, you can't have them out in society talking to other handmaids. No. They might, like, incite ideas. They would. <laughs> Revolution. Constantly. Yeah. I mean, think, of, look, think about Mora, right? 
yeah. all of hers we're out there. there. She yeah. tried. Like, yeah. If Where June there were was more, so much more passive. Right. If she there was, were more of those women in that situation, they would have. there would be no Gilead, right? Like, right. <laughs> it right. wouldn't work. So well, they had to extract them as quickly as possible. That's true. That's probably why drugs and alcohol are involved, too, because that can kind Keep of... Keep them a little subdued. Yeah. Right. That can kind of water you down Good a little insights. bit. I know. Um, so then she sees Mora, and time kind of stops, and um, Mora walks up in, you know, this kind of see-through shirt and sees her, and then it's kind of understood that they'll meet in the ladies' room, and they do. And first thing, Moria apologizes for leaving her at the train, and, and they so have sad. this, I know, and they have this tearful reunion hug, but then quickly after that, um, a, an aunt comes in and yeah. tells her that she was in the bathroom too recently and she needs to leave. So they agree to meet in the dorms later, um, which is not how it happened in the book. But, yeah. In uh, the book, this whole interaction with Moira happened in the bathroom. In separate occasions. So they mm-hmm. went to the bathroom initially when they first saw each other, and then a couple hours later, they see each other in the bathroom again, which is the much more likely scenario of the two between book and um, yeah, book and show, because yeah. in the show, she sneaks out later after sleeping with him while he's asleep. She take the card. I was like, she get the card? Well, oh, yeah. she get the card, girl. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to have to knock Where your way back it? in. But also, that little dress thing. I don't think she's got a bra. Also, if the commander was asleep enough to just sleep through her leaving, how could she just kind of wander through this hotel by herself? Wouldn't you leave? I would actually be too scared. Me too. I I would would leave anyway. Yeah. I don't don't think I would have been able to go back to that room with the commander not having tried to escape. Mm. Especially well, since she not knows she's probably either. out in Boston, like out way farther than she's ever been. Like maybe there's a better chance there. She's not surrounded by houses of but lonely I would, wives looking out the window. I would think any entry and exit to a place like that would oh, be heavily there's guarded. Always some freight exit somewhere that nobody's looking at. Well, so she talks to Moira though before, and I think that would have deflated anything. That oh, that's she... true. So when she talks to Moira, and we'll come back. Well, here we'll we'll get to that in a second. So Nick, it so while she's you know the like Moira leaves the bathroom, and there's more to come for that. Then it goes over to Nick with this with with a Martha, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, like a hotel Martha. I kind of was yes. not super clear on what was happening there. So. Same. I know. I'll I'll it try was, to see if you guys like, can help clarify that for me. So he gives her pregnancy tests and prescription drugs like Percocet and Vicodin and stuff like that. And vegetables. And, you know, basil. It's like you went to the, you know, pharmacy and farmer's market for her. I don't know. <laughs> get, get high. interesting. And also eat delicious pesto when you're high. I don't know. So he gives her all the stuff, and I think she gives him alcohol. Is that what it is? I don't I remember what she was. gives him. Or whatever. Like and then alcohol. He said something about, like, you know the the ladies have to have or the wives have to have their, like, alcohol or their oh, something. Oh, so he's, like, getting it to, like, be in good with the, with, Maybe? Uh, the commander and his wife. I don't know. I so, mean, it would be in his best interest. And then he says, you know, the eyes thank you for your service. And then she tries to reach in to his pants, and he kind of turns her away. Because you get the sense that, so Nick has had to witness Offred and the commander's little date Which so far. clearly he is not happy about. Yeah. Yes, and you don't know if Extra. he's just, like, caught feelings for June and he's very jealous. But then later you realize that he's actually just uber concerned for her safety, as he should be. Because this exact same thing, as we know, happened with the previous handmaid. So he sees the June. Pattern, yeah. Right, going down the exact same path because, you know, the previous time he killed herself before anybody else could kill her. It was sort of a preemptive strike. 
Um, and I so, think you had a much more generous interpretation of Nick's feelings in this situation than I did. I totally <laughs> read that as he is concerned because he sees the same things happening with June as happened with the other handmaid where she then killed herself. Mm-hmm. And he was he seemed to be vaguely upset by that. I don't know. He was a little hard to read in the flashback, as he always is. Um but I kind of felt like he was feeling like, oh, well, maybe, you know, my fun time with June is going to be over soon. I better start pulling away so I'm not really hurt if she kills herself. Can I, can oh. I say that I think like both of these men are misinterpreting June's uh, behaviors and emotions. They are both missing the, All the mark time. entirely. Yeah. Because I'm not trying I to think, hit it. Because I think the other girl. The mark. The other. <laughs> they're not trying to hit it. Oh, they are often. <laughs> I think they really don't, they're not taking the time to see how June's responding to all this stuff. I think Nick thinks she really likes him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that she, I think that Nick thinks that she's falling for the commander and, and is like following after him, but she is so, so very clearly just complying right now. Right, to survive. Um, and I, I actually believe the other girl, the other handmaid that killed herself, loved the commander. I think they mm-hmm. actually had a very caring not a character. That was a weird word to say. But like they had a <laughs> they relationship. They had a mutual like, she, affection. She felt like he was actually lo- in love with her. Is what I'm assuming. Whereas June knows he isn't. And so and you think going to Jezebel's like pushed her over the edge? Pushed who over the edge? The former hand. The first offer. I think she got pushed over the edge because she couldn't have the commander, and oh, she felt when she finally realized that she could not have him as her own and he was not going to try to change anything about the situation and range they were in she killed herself because she was in love that's what i think wow. i think she was disappointed and she saw no way out more of a juliet kill yourself yeah that's kind of how i that's how i interpreted it except of the thing that she carves in the the closet the latin let the bastards grind you down yeah but see, yeah, to me, I mean, it seemed like it was an inside time, joke between them two. That's what I thought. Oh. I felt like it was something it was he actually entered. in his in a book. I think Latin he, dictionary. Yeah, right. I think it was. A, a, it was like something he shared with her. He did and, immediately know that she had to have been where June picked it up. Yeah. So like he knew that she knew that phrase. So it seemed like he shared it with her, that. and it was like one of their things. Like, don't let them grind oh, you down. Maybe. Like, this is interesting. We're going to be together. Don't think. Don't worry about it. Like, we we have this like secret phrase between the two of us. You know, that's kind of how I interpret their whole interaction and relationship. So I think she killed herself because she was upset. She was Very she was disappointed, and she was not going to get what she wanted in the end, and that's why she ended her life. Ooh, so many ways to interpret this. There's a lot of ambiguity in this episode. Yeah, 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 and we a lot of the the. The men's faces seem to reveal so much less right. about their internal dialogue and what's happening. So I feel like I don't have a good handle on what Nick or the commander think at least half the time and what Nick thinks like most of the time because I just, I really can't tell. Like, it's is pr- he as dumb as he seems sometimes or is he just like ignoring stuff I think, and choosing not to see? I'm just not sure. I think it's perf- purposely ambiguous. Amb- ambiguous and a lot of the book is a little ambiguous in in parts yeah so but either way after we see kind of nick not wanting to sleep with the martha it flashes back to nick cutting down the hanging handmaid um you know the previous offred and then so you get to see him cutting her down and rita freaking out at that and then then it shows the actual bringing of the body to you know what is i guess a hearse in their society and um they're all standing on the the uh the curb where the where the van is and serena joy says to fred well what did you think was going to happen yeah 
And which, so she obviously she knew, knew what was happening, right. which just makes you wonder, does she know now? She has to. Women know. Yeah. I, she I would knows. think so, but she's being kinder to June. And I'm not sure. Because I think she what... thinks she's going to be pregnant. Because she's not dealing yeah. with her I... husband, who is not Maybe. I have no theories. Or... I have no she assumes theories. that she's having more sex. She's having a baby. Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't. I think she's trying. I think she probably knows she's sleeping with him. She's like, I'm just trying to get this baby. So y'all can do whatever you want to do. Right. Ugh. I don't need to watch. Sadly. I don't even know why she watched the first time. I wanted to be like, really? You're going to watch this? Like, what was that about? But that was another episode. We it was focus. a much more personal sex sex scene. It was a much more personal sexual, sexual act. You can tell they. Yeah. Either Sorry. way, <laughs> I was like, leave, Serena. This is weird. Anyway, so the commander as June. What so it flashes so it comes back to regular time and the commander asks June what she thinks of their little club while while stroking her ear tab. Oh my god! Ugh, yeah, just, her kettle tag. Yeah, can can we just yeah? Mm. And then um, she's silently weeping, and you assume that they have that they sleep together, and he wants but her she to is just less ceremoniously raped. I was just gonna say she's still pretty much raped, but I think he'd like to think that they're having consensual and somewhat hot I think he, sex. Yeah, this is this is my thing about the commander. The commander is not, he's hes a horrible person, but I think he is actually looking for connection with Jim. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I think that time in, that he won't, that he, um, is the times that he is angry with her in the office, every time it's like right after something where he didn't feel like he was getting connection from her. Right. Yeah. And so like, me like you mean it. He oh, wants yeah. to be desired by her. Yeah. And he's just ignoring the fact that she... Is, is not because like any man can tell right away the way she was acting when he was touching her he can tell he knew she was repulsed you can feel I hope so. you can feel someone's anxiety and you can feel someone's body when you're that close to yeah. them he's it's very clear to him that she does not want it but he is just trying to convince himself that if he pushes harder he right. will get some he response and her. love from her. I think that's really what he's looking for from um, Alfred. Well, that's totally right. Yeah. Much like Gilead, incredibly misguided. But either way, so then, you know, they don't even show what happens, but you assume. And then she sneaks out into what I'm calling the worst hallway ever. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was terrible. It, it, like, it was, it was on it par was with terrible. the Shining hallway. It was awful. So oh. <laughs> you hear, like, these terrible rape noises and maybe... Yeah. You know, you, you, they they do like a like I guess what was a role play of yeah. the handmaid making out with a, or a wife rape yeah yeah and there's yeah. a wife and then and there's, there's a man a lot of people watching and then, yeah and like cheering him on Super I don't know weird. yeah I try to forget about that scene and yeah. then a man licking a woman's um stump oh yeah because she had lost hand. a hand earlier what when was she was presumably about? a handmaid or something and for a while so he's kind of fetishizing her amputation but amputation right yeah. obviously it was removed her punishment she, she's yeah yeah struck out a line gross so anyways june finds moira and what we get from this scene is basically that moira has given up all hope for escape and if moira is given up Everyone should just give up because she was one of the more fiery yeah. people and she basically just tells her that she needs to go. She gives her the rest of her story of what happened after the train scene and you get more in the book. It was more fleshed out what happened to Moira in the book. But in this scene, she basically just says that they gave her a choice, the colonies or Jezebel's and she chose Jezebel's and she figures, you know, her body will wear out and then they'll, she'll go to the colonies and die or something. And so you just get the sense that Moira is completely deflated and it just yeah, breaks not June's like heart at all. 
Right. Yeah. She was such a strong character. No and glimpse so, of old Moira. Like at a all. force to be reckoned with all the time. She was always like working on a way to get free. And to see her like this, like defeated. So beaten down. Was so sad. Yeah. It was just heartbreaking. And then they hug. Which doesn't happen in the book. Moira's much more kind of detached, detached yeah. in the book, which I thought was a little bit more appropriate for the scene and, and yeah. the context. But either way, they have this hug and they say they love each other, which just is just a killer. I mean, it just breaks your heart. Um, and that's pretty much it for Moira in that in that scene, unless there's something I'm forgetting. Yeah. No, I'm- How did you? What did you walk away from that scene with? I sort of felt like, I mean, I feel like Moira sometimes just as a person. (laughs) I can see that. (laughs) I just do. I can see that. Um, And I think when someone, when you have a a spirit like Moira, I think Moira has given up in some capacity, but I think in her mind, in the back of her head, she's like, this is survival and I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to get, I'm going to help other people get out of here. I think that's, she's like, this is the way that I have to deal with the situation right now, but this is the the best way for me to make a difference is for me to stay alive. Mm -hmm. Cause I don't think she's like looking to die. I think she's like, can I write this for as long, like before, can I write this out and maybe there will be an end to it. And if I comply, I can, I can stay alive and then I can resist. I don't know. Maybe I was just making up a whole lot of hopes and dreams for Moira. I was going to say, <laughs> I, feel, cause I, I, I don't our, know. I character resonates character with me. so much. I, I know. Really we don't want to believe that her. Moira is beaten down, but it's yeah, good. I really, I really hope that Moira's story doesn't turn out like in the book, in the show, because I just, I want more Samira Wiley in my life. She is amazing. Right. And she has made this character something that it really wasn't in the book. And it's so much more interesting and I deep. And I feel like the show needs her, too. Yeah, she is a scene she's stealer. so good. If anybody on that show knows what they're doing, they'll keep her involved in some way. So then the commander says to June, um, oh, we got, don't worry, I'll get you home before you turn into a pumpkin. And you're like, just like, so cute. wow. Dude, shut up. So gross. And the coach turns into a pumpkin, FYI. Get your stories right. Yeah, but <laughs> either way, the tone is all off and just terrible. And, uh... So anyways, and then Nick looks worried for her or looks poor worried Nick. at her. Yeah, I know. Poor Nick. Um, and then we flash back then to Nick talking um, to one of the higher-ups of Gilead about... Um, oh, so basically he says that one of the higher-ups of Gilead basically explains to him that his job is to report on his commander, which is Fred. And they talk about how Fred kind of is responsible for the the previous handmade suicide and they hope he has that they hope he has better sense with the next one so it's all kind of foreshadowing that whatever happened to the previous handmaid is going to happen to june because fred clearly doesn't have better sense with this handmaid yeah i did think it was interesting to find out this is like the only valuable part of his backstory to me Mm. that it was interesting to find out that he was made an eye specifically to spy on fred because before this, we didn't know who he was supposed to be watching. Right. What, was it everybody? Was he there to watch the, the women mm-hmm. and make sure that they were staying in line? Was, you know, was Offred being watched more closely because she had a close relationship with Moira, who we thought escaped? You know, we, we really right. didn't know. And, and everybody, well, not you- everybody knows she's an eye, but we know. And June knows. So she has always been thinking it's been dangerous for her mainly but he's not even there for her and didn't nick report the other guy the other guy um the oh yeah the really crass guy in the car oh. yeah he did that's when he was made an eye yeah right or, or was he already an eye and that that just shows what he was doing before mm. he got to the, I don't the know. sorry yeah. yeah no he was yeah, talking he totally to did. yeah he was talking to the eye people about 
that man because he's like, oh, he had previous handmade affairs and he just Dude, can't. And he, what else did he do? I didn't catch the other offenses. What he had to have done something though for him to get caught because all the men are doing this right and they all cover for each other. So why? Right. What was it about what he did and who found out about it as to why he was being pulled into that? Because he had yeah. this look of terror on his face. I was like, what's going to happen to him? Why yeah. is he so freaking yeah. terrified? He says something and I don't remember. Guys. Well, maybe he's terrified because he's seen what happens to other men who have up. They get like handed over to the handmaids after they make them all crazy. So now Serena Joy comes home from seeing her mom. He asks her how her mom was. She says the same. And you're like dying to know more about this whole mom situation. <laughs> yes. But she gives Where you, is she? She gives you nothing. And you're like, great. And then they're like really affectionate, which makes you even more sad because you know that the previous night of what he did and they had kind of reconnected with that sex mm-hmm. scene that you mentioned earlier. It's and- like all of these times that they make me feel... Um- hopeful so sad for serena like i'm half like I oh i feel, don't want to feel bad i for never you. feel bad but then on scenes like this i'm like oh she doesn't really know i know she does know i don't it's think so she sad. really knows well she's kind of baby crazy right now know. so maybe that's cl- clouding her judgment I, don't know. I apparently didn't experience baby crazy so i don't have a whole lot of sympathy for that i had a little bit of it i'm not no. gonna lie <laughs> it does it I does not cloud things. i did not um so then Right after these two, you know, kind of reunite in the front hallway and talk about that, um, June in the kitchen, which I thought was also a very risky thing that she did, she tries to engage with Nick. And she basically is like, so I'll see you later. And he's like, I can't do this anymore. And she's like, she keeps trying to ask him and explain why he won't continue sleeping with her. And she and he's like, he finally is just like. We're being stupid. We're being stupid. We're going to end up on the wall. And she's like... I think he's just doing, like, self-preservation, pulling away now. Because he knows what her fate is. Yeah, or at least he thinks he does, you know? I think he's just, like, trying to protect himself, really. That would be in keeping with his worthlessness, and I think Justin would would appreciate that. And then she's just like, is this bullshit life enough for you? What are you going to do? Shine his car and sleep with an occasional handmaid? And he's just like, no, it's too dangerous. You'll end up on the wall. And then she's like, at least someone will remember me or care when I'm gone. And that that is something. And you kind of feel the same way, or at least I did in that moment. I thought, yeah, that's all you got. That's it. Yeah, Go that for it. That is the best part of her life right now. Really? Sadly. Yeah. That like, is the only. I couldn't disagree with that. I'd probably feel the same way in that specific scenario. Yeah, I just I, I sort of felt like Nick, you don't even deserve her saying this to you, like no, because I felt like his initial reactions were not out of concern; they were out of his own, like sure. I said, fragile masculinity, where he felt like she was falling for the commander mm-hmm. and, and going after that game and leaving him in the, in the dust, and he really was reading her wrong. So I was kind of like, if he had been like, I don't want to talk to him, like, all right, have a nice day. I'm going to get some bread. Like, because <laughs> he needs her just as much well as she needs you are him. a stronger woman than June. Yeah. yeah. I just feel like, I feel like he needs her just as much as she needs him. And I I, I feel sure. like I would have yeah. played the whole, like, okay, you mad right now. I'm going to go upstairs. So he's like, oh, no, no, wait, 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 wait. Which is basically, that's basically what he did, right? Like, actually, I want to talk to you. I love you. It was like, okay, yeah, yeah dummy. Like, I know that. Yeah. Uh, and then again, he, a really risky conversation. Like, I don't was, buy that this conversation could have been no. happening like that in the kitchen and nobody caught them. Especially when Serena Joy just got home. They're in the front hallway, presumably within Where, earshot. Where's the Martha? Right? That Where's Rita? Big, though. You know Rita's in there. She's always in the kitchen. She's always Her main job is cooking. Rita, For I feel sure. like Rita doesn't care. I feel like Rita's like fine with them. I don't think she would be fine with that. To a degree. I think that's too much. I don't think she'd be fine with that. She's, she's okay with like the occasional, occasional masturbation little, like, in the bathtub. Yep. She's down with the bathtub fun. She probably does it too. Come right. on. Be real. But this drawn out thing with Nick 
was I was the whole time I was like, how is this even happening? Just no. no. And then she's like, I don't even know anything about you. And so he pulls her to get he pulls her close and says his full name, Nick <laughs> Bland. <laughs> and of course his name is Nick Blaine. Right? I know it's <laughs> a perfect name. <laughs> and he's from Michigan. And as though that says a lot. I know. About like he just him. spilled his darkest secrets. <laughs> like, you know, he Michigan. Just a city. That deep thing about me that I'm you now know. I thought about you when he <laughs> like, said I'm Detroit, from Michigan. Lanny, I was like, like, where are you well, from? <laughs> you're not from Detroit. Grand Rapids. <laughs> right. I mean, that's a whole state, dude. That's not anything. But he said it like. Which peninsula? Come on. Right. Nope. Upper, lower. Yeah. He said it like it was the deepest thing to know about him because Nick screws up every interaction with June. And he says he's from Michigan. And she says, well, under his eye, Guardian Bland. And then... Guardian Bland? Do you call him Guardian Bland? Right. Is it Bland or... Blaine. Blaine. <laughs> she called him oh, Bland. Oh, was it? I think, Blaine. It's, I think it's Blaine. Oh, whoops. I just I like you know. called him Bland. I didn't take notes, so I'm kind of at your mercy here. My bad. Okay, well, I'll double check that, but I have no idea. And then... <laughs> Bland so would then, be appropriate. Yeah, exactly. Right. And then they're just like... Yeah, maybe I just manifested that. I was just like, <laughs> you Bland. so Bland to me. He's he's Nick Vanilla Bland. Like, I don't know. I anyway. Like it. So then they end the show with Serena giving Offred a music box, which plays Swan Lake when you open it. Oh, I was trying to figure yeah. out what it was playing. Yeah, like a child would have. A whole lot of ice shows. Right? Mm. Right here. And then, <laughs> Michigan. interestingly, and this is something that stuck out to me immediately when it happened. So she opens up the lid. There's that little thing, that little ballerina dancer spinning, and it plays Swan Lake. And you're like, all right. And then you see a mirror. And yeah, then I thought the same thing. Right? She's trusting her with a mirror. She's entrusting her with a mirror. What is that? When they're she not allowed easily... to have mirrors, they're not supposed to care about what they look no, like. And also, also, that is prime cutting material. Oh, yeah. You could break you that could mirror. You could off yourself oh, with totally a broken mirror so job. fast. I thought and then... it was going to be some secret reveal or some kind of message no, in I was there. Like, like she just gave her a meet weapon. me at five what o'clock totally gave her a weapon and then through the mirror you see offred's face doing this forced fake thank you for this yeah. gift and you're like okay and then um yeah and so the scene closes with she explains through the narration um that this is a gift of a girl trapped in a box who only dances when someone opens it and she will not be the girl in that box so that foreshadows some kind of yeah. resistance action thing I, I liked that um i like that metaphor i've always thought of like every woman in this story even well before the show as being trapped in a little cage and some people just had prettier cages than others mm -hmm. um so I, I really thought that metaphor was totally apt and the swan lake thing because swan lake has a lot of elements mm -hmm. culture me i don't know much about swan lake like i remember the vague story but that's it i don't even know so much the story behind it when you listen to the song it's got like a lot of like it's like soft it's and melancholy like, yeah at first and then it like kind of like picks up and is really raucous it's um very kind of uh dr jekyll and mr hyde yes. like it's 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 happy and pretty and sad and then it's kind of angry there's a lot of all the to it. like in the cost like sorry a former figure skater the costumes a lot of the costumes design especially there was one season where all the skaters were skating to the song in their competitions and shows and all of them had these Costumes that were like one half side was black and one the other side, side was white. white. Oh, that's essentially the story of, of Swan Lake. Yeah. Um, so then you see her carving in the closet wall, You Are Not Alone. And in English for the next woman. <laughs> right, yeah. And she says <laughs> through the narration that if she's going to tell a story, she has to tell it to someone, even if there's no one, because even when there's no one, there's always someone. Yeah, I thought that was interesting that she's kind of turned away from talking to the prior off-red 
and is talking to someone future vaguely. Offred. But it seems it seems less hopeless now. When she was talking to former Offred before, it seemed a lot less hopeless. Well, and knowing that there's a second season, I'm getting the sense that here is where it really starts to diverge from the book and that Offred's story is one of resistance and action and mm-hmm. strength and less of not. Although they haven't made her very activist in the story thus far. They've true. pretty much stayed true to the Offred in the book, who true. is like, you know, might dream a little bit of escaping and getting away and finding a better life and finding her husband and daughter, but really like Moira is the one that does that mm-hmm. and at- actually attempts and actually tries, you know, even when she fails, she tries again. And it's that's what we're seeing here. So I'm kind of wondering like are we getting away but from But this is Elizabeth Moira? Moss. Yeah. That's and how true. is she always developed as a character or often that's developed true. as a character that's and had her she face could be our, she, she could be our, our handmade Peggy Olsen crazy little face one of the best characters does. ever you know that crazy face yeah. I love her I yeah. love her I know death. seriously like that and she at the end of that, that episode she had that her she, she had that's that crazy true. she had her face crazy on. determination she did yeah, she's alone in the closet with the crazy face I love that you brought that I really liked that takeaway scene with the the really deep blood red robes on either side of her just like uh, very slightly and moving like in the wood background yeah like she was all twitchy nervous. like she couldn't sit still yeah and she had the the angry determination face from peggy yeah, yeah it was it was beautifully shot i really loved that slow back up of the camera it was Great a, way to end the show it was a gorgeously the whole show is but the, particularly this episode was visually really stunning yeah like mm-hmm. and then so maybe though it's not june that incites or maybe she's kind of plants the spark and then somebody else takes it and then it becomes a whole different thing in the second season i don't know it might be yeah. we'll see more moira that's what i want out of the second season that's, more yes. moira in my life cross our fingers for more and more people of color yeah no if shit. anyone's listening yeah yeah, yeah hulu please more people of color please all right, so that was very interesting. I'm so glad you could join us, Crystal. Yay, fun. Good, awesome. I'm so glad. And, you know, Sarah's back, you know, maybe forever. So we <laughs> totally will spotty. see you next week for the next episode of The Handmaid's Tale. I hope you uh, enjoyed this show as much as we did, and stick around for the next one. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.